You guys may be seated. If you brought your Bibles today, uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. So Acts chapter 16, we looked at a passage last week, and I shared with you last week that I, I thought I would cover this whole chapter in one week, and, and God kind of slowed us down a little bit. Um, we looked at the story of Lydia, who was a, uh, a, a businesswoman in that day who was quite successful. She sold purple linen, uh, which was a very uh, regal, royal, expensive type fabric for that day and time. And uh, she had grown up over in Asia. She had moved into Europe, and she was in this town called Philippi. And um, she was a, a kind of a God-fearing woman. She gathered, she prayed, and she worshipped with her friends uh, each Sabbath day. And we talked about last week how that uh, even though she gathered and even though she prayed and even though she worshipped faithfully, Lydia still was not a believer in Christ. She had not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul gave her the gospel and she came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I said to you last week that, that as a pastor, one of my greatest fears is that people will gather with us week after week. That they will pray with us week after week. They may even worship with us week after week, and yet they can still be lost. I, I hope that you realize that just coming to church doesn't make you a believer. That just praying and just worshiping doesn't even make you a believer. Lydia had all of that going for her, and yet she lacked the gospel. Paul fixed that. He brought the gospel to her and she heard the gospel and she responded to the gospel and those that were in her house heard it and they responded and they were all baptized and, and they asked Paul to stay with them, to, to come and to stay in her home. She was again successful, quite wealthy it looks like. Um, she invited Paul and the apostles to come and stay with her and they agreed uh, to do that. And so her home becomes kind of home base for them where they are working out of that. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 16, um, in verse 16, that uh, these guys are, are now going back to the river again and again where they met with Lydia and they're sharing the gospel. That became kind of their church, was there gathered uh, at the river. Uh, we as Baptists used to sing a song about that, didn't we? Gathered at the river. Let's look at the, at the Bible and what it says today. In Acts 16, 16, it says this, as we were going to the place of prayer, that's back to the river, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So here we see these guys are going back to the river again and again. They're going back to gather with the believers. And as they're traveling to that location, they meet this girl who is demon possessed. She is uh, possessed by a spirit of divination, the Bible says. And, and she was a slave girl. She was owned by others, uh, much like a prostitute would be owned by a pimp. She is owned by these slave, uh, these slave owners. And they are making money off of her. Uh, in that day and time, in the Roman culture, this spirit of divination was, was, was huge. It was a huge profit maker for people. Uh, the, the, the city officials would call in these, these, these fortune tellers to come in and to, to predict for them the future so that they could, could weigh that into their decisions before they made political decisions. The, the military leaders of that day especially would pay huge amounts of money for these, these uh, people with this this uh, spirit to come in and to, to help them to understand if we go into battle, are we going to be successful? Are we going to win? Are we going to lose? And what's the cost going to be? And all these kinds of things. And, and, and we look at that and we go, man, why would they do that? Why would they listen to an evil spirit that would predict the future for them? And, and that answers, I mean, ask some questions. Does Satan know 
the future. You know, I, there are certain things about the future that I know. I know that Jesus is coming back. And I know that there's going to be a judgment. And I know that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. There's things that Scripture has revealed to us that, that we can know with certainty are going to happen. And, and I think Satan is limited in some ways to those same types of things. But, but nevertheless, Satan studies people. And he knows their habits. And he knows kind of what they do. And, 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 and however all that works, I, I can't explain it all. But I'll tell you this. This lady made a lot of money off of trying to predict the future. We still have people in our midst today that do that, right? You see on the side of the road, the sign says, palm read, palm readers, come and get your palm read. Come and, and, and we'll do tarot cards with you. Come and we'll do fortune telling and, and all those kind of things. We have people, some of you that may pick up your newspaper and the first thing you read every morning is your horoscope to see if you're going to have a good day or a bad day. Those all fall underneath the same spirit of divination. That's not a thing to play with. It's not something for you as a believer to consult. But this lady made a lot of money off of doing that. So look what it says. It says that as they went to this place of prayer, they met this slave girl. She had this spirit of divination, and she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. Let's stop right there. Is that a true statement? Were Paul and Silas men of God? Were they men of the most high God? Were they sharing with people the way of salvation? Yeah, so what she says is what? It's true, it's accurate. So we're going to read the rest of the story and see Paul gets annoyed with this girl. Why would you be annoyed with somebody who's speaking the truth? And by the way, if she's driven by Satan and she's telling the truth... Does Satan sometimes tell the truth? He can't. And his, his native tongue is lies, the scripture says. But there's times that he can use the truth to create problems. And that's what's going to happen here. Look at the rest of the story real quick. So she follows them. She cries out that they're servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. By the way, you notice what their message was? The gospel. That's what Paul and them continued to preach. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Why would you be annoyed at somebody proclaiming the truth? Why would Paul be annoyed that she has become his press secretary? His PR campaign? Why, why would he be annoyed that she's drawing attention to Paul and to Silas and, and telling the crowds that, that these men are, are servants of the Most High God and they've come to tell you the way of salvation? Why would they be annoyed at her doing that? And, and Scripture doesn't tell us why. We can only let our imaginations work. But, but I think that part of what's going on here, because Paul is so annoyed with her, is do you want a demonic person as your press secretary? When, when is she making these statements? Is it in the middle of Paul presenting the gospel and she interrupts and just starts hollering and screaming? Is, is, it, is it that she's just following through the streets? And, 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 and would this announcement be confusing to the Romans who had many gods, many servants, and many, many ways 
to salvation. Sometimes the source of what's said tells you more about what's being said than what's actually being said, right? Here she is. They, they don't, it's creating confusion, I think, in the minds of these Romans that are listening. It's creating some confusion in their minds to think, okay, we, we know what she's being driven by, and, and yet she's promoting this. I think we should always get a little skeptical when Satan starts trying to promote what God's doing. Here she is, she's, she's become annoying. She does it day after day. It says for many days she kept doing this. And so Paul becomes greatly annoyed, but he's not annoyed at her. He's annoyed at the spirit that's driving her. Notice this. He became greatly annoyed, verse 18, and he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. At that moment, she is set free. She is delivered from this demonic spirit. She's, she's speaking truth, and yet it's confusing to the Romans. And, 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 and Paul says, enough. We, you, you, I don't need you to promote me. We're here to promote the gospel. We're here to promote Jesus. And, and you know what? Sometimes as, as leaders and sometimes even as believers, when other people begin to promote you, you just want to go... She's got this. She's, she's smart. But Paul knew what was driving what she was doing. And, and after becoming annoyed at the fact that she kept doing it day after day after day, he, he turns to her and he goes, whoa, wait a minute, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop this. Note this, if you would, that those who sometimes sing your praises may not always be seeking to benefit you. It's been said that there's two things that, 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 that trip up Christians more than anything else. One is persecution, and the other is praise. One causes you to question, where is God in the midst of my hurt? And the other one causes you to think, I don't need God because they think I'm great. Here Paul says, come out in the spirit. That demonic spirit has to come out. And so he delivers this woman from the demon. You would think that everybody in town would be excited about that, right? I mean, here, here she is. He's, the, the demon has come out. It's a huge blessing for this woman that she's delivered from the, the satanic control that has, that has enslaved her and left her in this condition. A huge blessing for her, but a huge blow to her owners. Remember what it said up in verse 16? She brought her owners much gain. Look at verse 19 now. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, their profits had just evaporated. Their moneymaker now was no longer going to be able to make money for them. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged him into the marketplace, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. You remember something similar that happened to Jesus? Remember the demoniac that shows up? full of all those demons and Jesus cast the demons into the pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and drowned in the, in the water. Remember what the people said to Jesus after that? You gotta go. 
you've just cost us a lot of money. You, you've got to go. And, and that's exactly what these owners are doing. They, 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 they've got this slave girl that they have been making money off of. Now, I'm sure they've told her that they love her and that she's sweet and that she's special, but you better keep the paycheck coming. Our society still does that to people, don't they? Our, our ladies make gifts for ladies that are still being used and abused down the road. People ought to rejoice that this girl's been set free. That they ought to rejoice, but these, this, this blessing for her became a blow to her owners. They lost their hope of great gain. And, and these owners now grab Paul and Silas and drag them off to the, to the city square to have them tried and to have them convicted and to have them punished for costing them this money. The owners who had previously probably pretended to value this girl, now they reveal what they really value, the profit that she brought. They didn't rejoice, but they retaliated. Instead of becoming thankful, they became angry. And so they drag them off. The sudden loss of their profit revealed their true hearts. Have you ever noticed that money and the sudden loss of money tend to reveal the types of hearts that we really possess. That's what happens to these guys. They can pretend to be upright citizens. They just happen to have a little girl who's making them some money on the side. But sudden loss tends to reveal what we really value. This week I did a funeral uh, for somebody in Betty Boyd's family. Uh, her niece or her nephew had passed away, and I went and did that funeral and gave me a chance to visit with Betty's kids. And if you guys have been with Crossroads for a while, you remember Miss Betty. Uh, Betty had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she was actually had gone to Houston uh, to have some, some uh, chemo and stuff done at um, the hospitals there in Houston. And one night in the middle of the night, I get a phone call, and it's a dispatcher for Ward 7 Fire Department. And uh, they call and said, Brother Rob, we, we've got some bad news. Uh, one of your church members' homes is on fire. And they told me it was Betty's house. Uh, it had been set on fire by a couple neighbors that lived by her that wanted to buy her property. And she didn't want to sell it, so they decided they'd just set it on fire. And while she was in Houston hooked up to chemo bags, they burned her house. My job was to drive to Houston and let Betty know that her house had burned. And I'll never forget walking into her room that day at MD Anderson. She was so excited that I was there, so excited to see me. She had her, her niece with her, and they were both there. And, and Betty just smiled and smiled, and we talked, and then I thought, I've got to tell her. So I finally did. I said, Miss Betty, I, I'm glad to see you too, but I came today with some, some bad news. I said, last night, middle of the night, somebody set your house on fire. And it's burned most of it. And a tear came down her eye. And I just, I, I was waiting for the worst. And she looked at me and she says, Brother Rob, laying flat on her back, chemo drip. She said this, it's just stuff. I said, yeah, Betty, but it's your stuff. And she says, no, it's not. Everything I have it's his. It's stuff. 
And she wiped that one tear off of her eye. And she turned the whole mood of that room around. When we lose stuff, our hearts are revealed. Our, our, our hearts are revealed for what we truly treasure. We, we sing the song that we just sang, that, that if we lose everything and we gain Christ, then it's worth it all. But, but for some of us, that's an easy song to sing. It's a harder thing to say when it really happens. I'll never forget Miss Betty. I'll never forget that statement she made. Brother Rob, it's just stuff. And she never missed a lick. Life threw her some pretty tough curves, and she never missed a lick. We're not told in the story if this woman gets saved or if she doesn't get saved. We don't know what, what happens to her after the story because really the truth is that she's set free and it shows the hearts of these men. And these men arrest Peter, I mean, uh, Paul and Silas, and they drag him into the city squares. And then they make up some charges against them. As they drag them into the, 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 the square before the rulers and the, and the magistrates, um, look what it says they did. When they brought them to the magistrates, they said three charges, Okay. The first one is aimed at the people's prejudice. These men are Jews. They're not Romans like us. They're Jews. What are they trying to stir up? The prejudice of the people against these foreigners. Second thing they say is they are disturbing our city. Now this is, you've got to understand these magistrates, these rulers are put into place to keep the peace and to keep the people calm and to keep everything going smooth and just keep them paying their taxes. It's what happened when Jesus was arrested and Pilate tries to, to calm the crowds. It's that same kind of thing. So the first one is to, to, to attack the prejudice of the people. The second one is to, to provoke the, the ruler's authority. And then the third one is to provoke the magistrate's loyalty. Look what they say thirdly. They disturb our city. And the third thing is they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Roman citizens to accept and practice. What are they saying? This, is, this tells you about Paul and Silas and what they're preaching. Okay? You've got to read between the lines, but it, it's clear. Paul and Silas are preaching a gospel that would lead somebody to proclaim Jesus is Lord. He, he is the God Almighty. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. That's what they say that their faith is going to produce in these people. What did the Romans say? There is no Lord but Caesar. They're telling us to do something that's unlawful for us to do. They're, they're calling us to pledge our allegiance to somebody other than Caesar. Is that, is that a true statement? Absolutely. Again, we keep seeing true statements here, okay? They're, 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 these guys are Jews. True. These guys are promoting that, that we make somebody else our Lord besides Caesar. Yes, they are. Now, they're not calling for rebellion against Caesar. They're just calling for you to, to acknowledge who the true Lord is and who the true master is. And so they provoke these three things. They, they say to the, to the people... These aren't people that, 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 that are like us. They say to the rulers, you better, you better squelch this disturbance. Let me ask you this. Who's disturbing the city? Paul and Silas? Or those who are coming against them? And then they're telling us to say Jesus is Lord. Well, their charges have just enough emotional weight that the people rebel. The people turn against him. It says in verse 22, the crowds joined in attacking them. And, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and they gave the orders for, to, for them to be beat with rods. Here's another one of those times that, that Paul's going to be beaten with rods. They take out the rods and they begin to, to, to palm at these guys. They beat them. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, securely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, what would be like the dungeon. And he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now these stocks were, were long, two boards that would be, would be clamped together, locked together. And they had multiple holes. They'd have some holes close together and some farther and farther apart. These, these stocks were actually used for torture a lot of times by the Romans. They would stretch your legs so far apart and lock you into these things. And as you began to cramp, you had no way to, to get relief. Now, we're not told that Paul and Silas were tortured. But they were locked in these stocks where they were fastened. They were chained. And they were probably chained to the wall. So they could not get out and they could not escape. That was the jailer's job was to keep people safe. If a prisoner escapes, what happens to the jailer? You lose a prisoner, you lose your life. That's the rule. So he makes sure that they're locked tight, they're kept for the night. Again, these guys stripped of their clothes, beaten, bloody, now locked in these stocks. If you didn't know the story, what would you think was coming next? Uh, let's just change it up. That was you with a bloody back. Falsely accused, thrown in prison. How would you respond? I don't think we'd have worship service breaking out. There'd be a party, but it'd be a pity party for most of us. We try to defend ourselves and tell everybody how innocent we were, and we were wrongly accused and wrongly arrested, and we shouldn't, we don't belong here. And and you may be a criminal, but I'm not a criminal, and I and I demand my rights. Remember, Paul was a Roman citizen, right? This was against the law, what they did for Paul, to, to arrest him without a fair trial, without any kind of, uh, of evidence that had been brought forth. But, but instead of complaining and criticizing and defending themselves and, and promoting their own innocence, they did something that would be totally foreign, maybe never before seen or heard of, in a Roman prison. They began to pray and praise their God. what <laughs> their backs are still dripping blood and it says in verse 25 about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the rest of the prisoners just had to listen how do you get locked up and still pray and praise God? Paul would later say, writing from jail, they may have me physically jailed, but they can't jail my spirit. They can't chain my heart. They, they make, it, make me physically stay here in these walls. But I tell you what, Paul says, my spirit has is, is been set free. Paul and Silas were, were set free they, they, they may have still had blood clotting on their backs, but, but their hearts are focused upon God. Anybody here think that that would have been your response? I don't believe it would have been mine. Put yourself in the jail as another prisoner. You've watched these guys be drugged past your cell. You see the blood dripping, the clothes watered up, them thrown in, them locked up. Feet put in the stocks, back still bleeding. And a few minutes later, you hear something coming from their cell that you don't expect. 
the hymns that they sang were straight from Scripture. Maybe some of the songs. And they began to praise God. As a prisoner, hearing those praises coming from another cell, what would that have been like? Probably question, what do these guys have to give thanks for? thanking God for their beating? Are they thanking God for being locked up? Are they thanking God that their freedom's been taken away? Are they thanking God that they could be executed real quick here? What are they thanking God for? Their God just let them get beat. How can they thank him? If their God is the almighty God, couldn't he have prevented that? Couldn't he have stopped that? Couldn't he have halted that? Why did he let his people get beat? Why are they praising him of all people? So it's in the middle of the night, but they're so filled with joy they can't keep quiet. We're not told what they prayed for, but I bet you this. I bet you they prayed for God to give them strength, to give them courage. I, I bet they prayed for God to, to put within them a heart of gratitude, even though their, their pain was great. I bet they asked God, Lord, show us your will and show us what you're doing because we belong to you and we believe that you are ultimately in control. What are, you, what are you doing here, God? And I want to say this to you. Their prayers are not what open the gates. I don't think. I think their prayer time is what got them ready for what they were to do when the gates were open. Because we're going to see here in just a minute that, that not only was their praising and their prayer uh, unusual for a, a jail, but what they're going to do when God responds is unusual as well. So here they are, and, and, and God's, they're, they're sitting there and they're praying, and they're asking God what they need to do, and one, one of them senses the Holy Spirit prompt them to say, start singing. Start singing. Louder. Let's let everyone in this room hear you. Just start, start singing. And they began to sing, and they began to worship. And as they sang... And they praised their God. The other prisoners just sat and listened and wondered what makes these guys so different? What makes them and their attitude so different from ours? What makes their response so different from our response when we got locked up? Verse 26 says it wasn't long before the earth began to shake. It says suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. The ground shook, the chains fell, the feet were loosened, every door swung open. It was kind of like God was patting his foot to the rhythm of their song. And everything began to change. Maybe their God really was real. Maybe their God really was all-powerful and almighty. This earthquake wakes the jailer up and, and, and he's sleeping in his home and, and, and it says when the jailer woke up, he did what all jailers would do. He would look at the prison doors <laughs> and those doors were open. Again, you lose a prisoner, you lose your life. Two ways he could die. He could die his own sword or he could be tortured publicly and killed before the people. He chose the easier of the two. He takes out his sword. He draws his sword. And he's ready to kill himself. Because he knew that that was the punishment that he would receive at the hands of the Romans. 
So, says he drew his sword, he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And ordinary men would have. Ordinary men would have gone the second that those, those doors were open. But not these guys. Now, I've got to tell you the truth. When I, when I hear this, I can understand Paul and Silas, who are being led by the Holy Spirit, I can understand them staying. What about these other guys? What about the other prisoners that, that have been in there listening all night long to these guys singing and the doors fly open? What's their thought going to be? Not Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. What's their thought going to be? Okay. Now, now and even for Paul and Silas, okay, they've heard the story of Peter being arrested. Remember that story? Peter was arrested. The church began to pray. And the angel comes and wakes up Peter and says, Peter, get up, get up. Let's go. And as he walks, all the gates are open and, and he's let out. Peter leaves the prison. So those doors get open and Peter leaves. This door gets opened and Paul and Silas are led to stay. And I do say led because I don't think that's their natural response. I think that's what the Holy Spirit was doing even as they prayed and as they praised God. He says, hey, we're up to something here. Don't, don't you flee. And, and, and so they did the unexpected. Paul calls out to this jailer and, and, and he cries out in verse 28 with a loud voice. And he says, do not harm yourselves, for we are all here, all the prisoners. I don't know if these other guys are just so shocked at what's happened that they didn't run. Or if Paul stands in front of the door and won't let him go. I don't know what. Or if God just did a miracle even in those guys. But, but all the prisoners were accounted for. Not one of them had escaped. And Paul hollers out to the guard, don't kill yourself. Now listen, all Paul had to do was stay quiet. Another 15 seconds and that jailer's dead and Paul walks free. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. God's got something going on here. We are all here, he says. And so instead of running, these guys remain. This, again, the opposite of what most of us would do. But Paul and Silas are being led by the Holy Spirit. They're listening to the Holy Spirit. They're responding to the Holy Spirit. And they knew this, that those keys were not what held them in that prison. That at any minute, God could totally set them free. And they trusted that God would, just not yet. What's this scripture telling us? I think it's telling us the importance of listening to the Holy Spirit. Here's what we tend to do. I've got a decision to make. I'm looking for a sign, right? Lord, give me a sign. If you want me to go, Lord, just open the door and, and I'll walk through it. What does this story tell us? That not every door that's opened, even if it's opened by God, is meant for us to be walked through, at least not at that particular moment. If all we ever look for is just signs, like we tend to do, touchy-feely, give me signs, God, of what you want to do, and what we're really asking is, Lord, give me some kind of glimmer that says what I'm looking for, if we're honest. Not what you're doing, but what I want you to do. And so, Lord, I'm going to, you know, it's the story of the cop that was on a diet. And he passes the donut shop. And, and he goes, hey, God, look, I'm on this diet and I know I need to lose weight. And so, Lord, if there's a parking spot right up front, I'm going to take that as a sign that you want me to stop and you want me to eat. And, and the ninth time around the building, there was. It was there. It's like, ah, I knew God wanted me to have a donut. 
Sometimes we look for signs that way, don't we? We, we? Lord, show me a sign. And we look for every single thing that we can do to justify what we want to do. And that's not what the apostles are doing here. They're, they're going, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute, hold on. What's God doing here? The gates are open. Who opened the gates? God did. We can be free. This is, this is a sign that God wants us out of prison. And the apostles sensed from the Holy Spirit. That's not what God was doing. Stay put. And you keep others in here as well. And so they do. And the jailer can't believe his ears when Paul's saying, hey, we're all here. And so in verse 29, it says, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Humbled that they're still there, that they didn't run. So he brings them out. Why would you bring prisoners out? Well, if they hadn't run yet, maybe they're not a flight risk. He takes them outside the prison. And I find it interesting that the first question out of his mouth is, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What kind of question is that for a jailer to ask inmates? Well, ordinary inmates, you probably wouldn't ask that. But this jailer had seen enough and heard enough and now experienced enough to know these guys got something I don't have. These guys got something going on that, that I need to know about. What, what do I need to do to be saved? Look at verse 31. And they, Paul and Silas, said... Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. What was their part? You believe. What's God's part? You'll be saved. Oh, and by the way, it's available to your household as well. You see, God's promise to us is that whoever believes will be saved. What do I need to do? There's no hoops to jump through. There's no rituals and ceremonies and, 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 and circumcision and things that are going to be required. You need to believe. And then Paul and Silas define what that means. They explain to him what it means to believe in the Lord because the Bible says Satan believes. And he trembles. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement that there is a God. But it's belief. And it says, and so verse 32, they share the gospel. They, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Again, they've got to be able to hear to believe. They've got to be able to understand it to be able to believe. And so these guys break down the gospel. They share the word of the Lord with him and with all who were in their house. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes through the word of the Lord, Lord of Christ. So what are these guys sharing? The plan of salvation. Why are they in jail? Because they're sharing this plan of salvation. So his first question is, what do I need to do to get in on this? What do I need to do to, 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 to know what you guys know and to experience what you guys experience? And so faith comes through hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. So what do they share? The word of God. Why? So that he can hear and so that he can have faith and he can believe in Christ. Listen, guys, we can do a lot of nice things for other people. 
But if we never get around to sharing the gospel with them, they're still lost. I believe in building relationships where we can build relationships with people. I think that's important in, in us being able to share the gospel. But Paul and Silas didn't have time to sit down and develop a six-week relationship with this guy. He's asking a question. He's prompted by the Lord to go, what, what do I need to do to have what you guys have? And they share the gospel with him. And to all who were in his house. And we're led to believe that they believe because the next thing we see is verse 33 that they, he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. The gospel changes hearts. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. <laughs> For all who believe. That, that word power is dunamis. That's what we get our word dynamite from. The gospel is dynamite. It is the power of God. But let me remind you, for dynamite to be effective, somebody's got to light the fuse. And that's what we do when we share the gospel. You know, it's not us doing the work, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. But the Holy Spirit is invested power in the word of God, in the gospel, so that when we share the gospel, it goes out in power and it can convict hearts and it can draw people to Jesus Christ. And, and they share the gospel with this jailer. And the first thing he knows to do is, I've got to clean you up. I've got to nurse your wounds. His heart has now changed from a Roman jailer who locks people in stocks to a guy who says, if you stuck around for me, if you cared more for me than you did for your own freedom, and you tell me how to know Jesus, I, I want that. And now I want to take care of you. And so he nurses their wounds. He cleans them up. And then they baptize him. And then it says he invited them into his home. It says in verse 33, and he took them the same hour and night. He washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Notice his change of heart immediately. He washes their wounds. He's baptized in identification with Christ. He brings them up to his house. He sets food before them. And he is rejoicing now with the same rejoicing that Paul and Silas have been doing in his prison. He's rejoicing in his own salvation. But God's not through with Paul and Silas yet. They don't say, okay, we stuck around long enough to lead you to Jesus, baby. We're hightailing it now. We're out of town. Guess where they go next? Back to jail. back to jail because look what happens the, the very next morning it says in verse 35 when it was daytime the magistrate sent the police saying let those men go and the jailer goes and reports these words to Paul and says the magistrates have, have sent to let you go therefore come out now and go in peace he was back in jail come out and, and you can go and this time when you leave it's not going to cost me my life and it's not going to cost you your life you are free to go I don't know about you, man. I gather my clothes and I hit the road. Okay? Not Paul. <laughs> Not Silas. 
Paul and Silas weren't living for themselves. You've got to grab this. They're, they're not living for themselves. They, they had freedom when those gates first opened, but they weren't living for themselves. So they stayed and they witnessed to the jailer. Then the jailer comes to know Jesus and they say, okay, we're still not living for ourselves. We're going to stay because even if we leave now after you're saved, even though if they kill you tonight, you go to heaven tomorrow, we're going to stay because we trust our God's big enough to do this. And they go back to jail. Well, the next morning they say, okay, Paul, you're free to go. Take off and go. And Paul says, not quite yet because I'm not living for myself. Now he's living for the church that God's planting. You've got to understand who's Paul living for for this next part to make a little bit of sense. But, but, but he says, they reported the news. They said, therefore, come out now and you can go in peace. But Paul says to them in verse 37, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And they've thrown us into prison. And now, <laughs> do they now just throw us out secretly? No, Paul says no. Let them come themselves and escort us out, take us out. Now, is Paul just getting cocky here? Is he saying, man, you violated my rights and we're going to have a big thing and we're going to get the CNN and, and Fox News, everybody come and bring their cameras and we're going to have this public thing on the deal where you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna eat face. Is that what Paul's after? I don't think so. I don't think Paul's living for himself. But look what Paul says. We're Roman citizens. We weren't given a trial. We weren't, we weren't condemned. We, we, nothing was done here, but you beat me publicly. You, you, you were uncondemned. You were Roman citizens. You've thrown us into prison. All those things are a violation of Roman law. Let them come and take us out. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. When they heard that they were Roman citizens, the magistrates, the rulers had broken the law. They could be punished for what they did to Paul and Silas. Was that what Paul and Silas were after? I don't think so. Here's what I think. I think that Paul and Silas, by showing that they knew the law and that they had rights under the law, were going to slow down the persecution of other believers. By saying to the Roman leaders, hey, buddy, you, you didn't even check this out. You just arrested us, beat us, intimidated us, and, and threw us into jail. Not so fast. Because there's other believers here who are gathering with us at the river, who are worshiping the Lord with us now, and they're Roman citizens as well. And as you do the same thing to them, they can damage the church. You, you need to check out the churches before you beat somebody and throw them in jail. You need to find out the, the, the true meaning of this. And I think that in, in what they're doing here now, Paul and Silas in some ways are testifying their character even before the magistrates and the rulers. We're not asking you to do something for us. But I'm telling you, there's other believers in this town. And you need to deal with them different, different than you dealt with us. So verse 39, those guys come and they apologize to Paul. They took him out and they asked him to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, back to Lydia's house to visit with, with them. And when they'd seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. Paul is living a lot like Jesus in these moments. Jesus 
For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? For himself? No. For you and for me. For those who needed to hear the gospel. Jesus died knowing the Father could resurrect him. Paul and Silas stay in the jail knowing that God can free them. They go back to jail knowing that God can free them. They refuse to leave when they're given permission to leave, knowing that that God can not only free them, but God can also protect others. They're living not for themselves, but for others. And that's reason enough to praise God. That's reason enough to to share the gospel. It's it's God working in these guys and through these guys so that a, a jailer now comes to know Jesus Christ. So the church is encouraged that if God will do that for Paul and Silas, God can do the same thing for us. And I think it's a testimony to the magistrates that Paul and them weren't afraid and that they weren't going to be intimidated, that that they served a higher God, that they served a Jesus who really was Lord of all. And so even when they're set free, they don't run. They go back to Lydia's, they gather with the brothers and the sisters in Christ. They encourage them and tell them what had happened. And then they leave to go to the next place. Guys, we don't face that kind of persecution, at least not yet here in America. The chances of you sharing the gospel with somebody and going to jail, are you proclaiming Christ and having to pay for it, are very slim. But guys, listen, we still have a world that's watching us. We still have a world that's listening to what comes out of our mouths. Stories that we tell, the things that we focus on, the things that we value. And to be honest, many times we live more for ourselves than we do for anybody else. You get a raise at work, what's the first thing we think? It's more for me, more for my family. When in reality, it could be God blessing you so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. God works things in our lives and he opens doors that, that eventually these guys were going to walk through, but, but not every door that he opens is meant to be walked through at that moment. Sometimes just staying put says more than, than walking through. Does that make sense? And so what God does is he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide our steps and to tell us when to go. Because there was times Peter had to go. And when to stay. Paul could have revealed his Roman citizenship before he was ever beaten. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit kept him quiet until that needed to be revealed. It's so critical if we are going to be the people of God that we learn to hear the voice of God's Spirit. That's the message here is learning to hear the Spirit of God. Paul, dealing with that demonic woman, let it go until God's Spirit says, okay, it's enough. And he dealt with it. And then he waited all that time to reveal that he was a Roman citizen. Because he knew that his God was a big God. Now, I don't know that God had showed him every step of everything that was going to happen, but he said, trust me, and I'll tell you when. And they did. 
And God worked. You say, did it really matter? I, I think it mattered to that girl. And I think it mattered to that jailer and his whole family. And I think it mattered to the church that they went back and reported to who thought, you know what, this God that these guys proclaim, he really is God. So what would happen if you and I began to listen to the Holy Spirit and just began to do what it was that he put on our hearts to do as he led us and as he prompted us? There's really no way to know that until we do it. There's really no way to know what God could do with your life until you take your hands off of it and you say what that song said right before I started to preach. I let go of everything to have all of you. And I know that that will be worth it all. So let's pray. And, and, and instead of just closing your eyes and going numb while I say a few words, why don't you really talk to God about where you're at in this whole matter? Is there something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of? Are there doors that you're asking God to open that, that really may not be the doors that God wants you to walk through right now? Let's, let's, let's just pray. Let's say, Lord... You guide my steps. All I want to do is be right where you want me to be, right where, when you want me to be there. And to trust that he's big enough to guide those steps and to put us right where he wants us to be. Okay? Let's do that.